Some of you have perhaps heard of Penn and Teller before. They're a magician duo, um, and they're known for doing their shows in Las Vegas. Unfortunately, their shows are generally also marked with foul language and uh, shock appeal. So while I'm not advocating for their shows, I am bringing this up to give you some context. Penn, who is the verbal part of Penn and Teller, he uh, is an outspoken atheist, and he talks about his position and his beliefs on YouTube videos. But there was one video in particular that seemed rather odd for him to make, and, and in that video, he encourages Christians to share their faith. You might think, well, if he's an outspoken atheist, why would he do that? Well, he tells a story in that video from, I think it was 2008, about his own experience and his own encounter with a Christian. He was signing autographs after a show, and a man walked up to him and complimented him, and with a brief discussion, also handed him a copy of the New Testament. But let's hear Penn's own words about this exchange and what happened. And he said, I wrote in the front of it, and I want you to have this. I'm kind of proselytizing. And then he said, I'm a businessman. I'm sane. I'm not crazy. And he looked me in, right in the eyes. So I'm going to pause from his testimony and just explain the word proselytize. Um, so generally speaking, that means to try to persuade or to win someone over to their own religious or political beliefs. So in this broad sense, proselytize is a neutral kind of word. Sometimes, though, proselytize can have a negative connotation to it, meaning like to try to force someone against their will to change their beliefs. But that's not what is meant by Penn in his description of his encounter. But let's go back to what he says. Again, explaining his interaction with this Christian. It was really wonderful. I believe he knew that I was an atheist, but he was not defensive, and he looked me right in the eyes, and he was truly complimentary. It didn't seem like empty flattery. He was really kind and nice and sane, and looked me in the eyes and talked to me and gave me this Bible. We can tell just by his words there how impressed he was by this Christian, his sincerity, his love, his care behind his actions and his words. And then Penn goes on to say um, how, he, how he respects the man and how he doesn't respect those who say that they're Christian, who say that they believe in all of these things, and yet don't proselytize. So going back to his own words, I don't respect that. If you believe that there's a heaven and a hell and people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life or whatever, and you think that it's not really worth telling them because it would make it socially awkward, and atheists who think that people shouldn't proselytize, just leave me alone, keep your religion to yourself. I don't respect that. He's making a very interesting point. Like, if we truly believe that not everybody makes it to heaven and that there is the possibility of heaven and what a great gift it is, wouldn't we be trying to help other people get there? In fact, to do otherwise would be, 
would be kind of hateful. And that's what he goes on to say. How much do you have to hate someone not to proselytize? How much do you have to hate someone to believe that everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? If I believed beyond a shadow of a doubt that a truck was coming at you and you didn't believe it, and the truck was bearing down on you, there's a point where I tackle you. And this is more important than that. He's making a very good point. Like, if we truly love someone, we would want what's best for them. And what's best for them is to follow the Lord. What's best for them is to choose to live out this life of love that God shows us, that he reveals to us, so that we could be with him forever in heaven. And yet, as he said, sometimes we choose just not to say anything because that would be weird or that would be socially awkward or that would make us uncomfortable. But how much do we have to hate someone not to tell them? How much do we have to hate someone to let them be in that danger of losing heaven forever? God wants us to share the truth. He wants us to proclaim the faith to other people. He wants us to help people recognize that they need to repent of their sins and come back to him. And that's, what's, that's what we're told in our first reading. When God's talking to the prophet and he says to the prophet, if I say to the wicked man that he must die for his sins and you don't tell him that, then I'm going to hold you accountable. And if you do tell him and he refuses to change, he's going to be punished, but you at least save yourself. But if you don't, you're going to be held accountable. If God prompts us to share with someone the good news of Jesus Christ, that he was willing to become human, to give up his life on the cross, to make up for all of the sins of all of humanity for all time, so that we would have the opportunity for heaven, and we refuse to tell people that, God's going to hold us accountable. If we know someone who has been raised in the faith and decides to go in a different direction, and we do nothing, we're not following what we're told in our gospel passage. Jesus told us, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have won over your brother. He's reminding us that if people are going astray, out of love for them, we should call them back to the truth. We, would, we should want what's best for them. We should want them to live in the truth, to repent of their sins, to go to confession, to be right with God so that they can be with God forever in heaven. And Jesus gives us the blueprint for what we are to do in our gospel passage. And the first step, as we just heard, is talk to the person one-on-one -on -one, to try to tell them in private that what you're doing is wrong and there's a better way. God's way is better. And here's why. And you do the best that you can to try to win them over, to try to persuade them to follow what God tells us. Because he knows us better than we know ourselves. He created us. He knows us perfectly. He knows what's best for us. And he wants that for us, so he tells us directly. God the Father is the best of fathers. And what father, what parent, wouldn't at least warn their children about the dangers that they face? But God also respects our free will. And he knows that we could choose to do otherwise. And he knows that even when we talk to someone, 
they could choose to do otherwise. And so Jesus goes on to say that if after your one-on-one conversation it's not working out, that this person's not convinced, then bring a couple other people with you and try again. Why? Because this person's soul is at risk. If someone's in mortal sin, they're headed away from heaven. They're not going to have eternal life unless they repent. And God may be calling us to be that instrument, to be his voice, to give them that opportunity to repent, as we heard in our first reading. But Jesus goes on to say that if he refuses to listen even to them, then tell the church. Tell someone in the church, like myself or Deacon Neal, and then maybe because we're part of the church in a unique way as clergy, maybe that would help convince them. Maybe we would have arguments that you yourself don't have. Maybe they'll listen, maybe they won't. But are you doing at least the best that you can with what you have out of love for that person to draw them back to right relationship with God? Jesus goes on to say that if he refuses to listen even to the church, then treat him as you would a Gentile or a tax collector. Now that's a very interesting remark. After time and time again of trying to convince this person to live in the truth, to live according to the love that God has presented to us in the commandments, he then says to treat them as a Gentile or a tax collector. In the time of Jesus, Gentiles were everyone who was not Jewish. And the Jewish people, yes, they would have interactions, they would have conversations, but Gentiles were kind of excluded. They were kind of outsiders, and they certainly wouldn't worship God together. Because the Gentiles, like the Romans, they believed in something completely different about God. In fact, they believed in multiple gods. And so they wouldn't worship with the Jews. Tax collectors were Jewish people who decided to work for the Roman Empire in order to collect the taxes from their own people. They were considered traitors. Sometimes they were considered even worse than the Romans themselves because those, the Jewish tax collectors, had the opportunity to choose to do otherwise. But the Romans, they were born into their condition, born into separation from God and following the false gods. So it's more understandable that they would be in the wrong direction. But the tax collectors were Jewish. They were given the covenant, and so they should know better. And Jesus is saying to treat them like a Gentile or a tax collector, to exclude them in some ways. And we might think, well, that's kind of mean and rude. I mean, didn't Jesus, like, eat with tax collectors and, and heal those who were faithful Gentiles? Like, didn't he still reach out to them? Well, yes, but they weren't in full communion with the Christians, with the Jewish people in that time. And so there was still some level of exclusion. And when Jesus ate and drank with the Gentiles and the tax collectors, it was for the sake of their conversion. And so while we are called to try to draw people in and still be in good relationship with them, we do have to make a distinction. And the whole point of the exclusion is to help people recognize the seriousness of their condition. Far better for someone to not be allowed to receive Holy Communion than for their their immortal soul to be lost forever. Far better for them to know that they need to repent and to do so now than to die and not have the opportunity and to lose heaven forever. 
And so even today in the Catholic Church, we follow what Jesus tells us. There are levels of exclusion for those who refuse to repent after multiple attempts of trying to convince them you're in a state of mortal sin, your soul is headed in the wrong direction, you need to turn around, you need to go to confession, you need to change your ways. And the church says that because she loves her children. Holy Mother Church wants all of her children to go to heaven. And God revealed to the church, this is how to do it. These are the sins. This is all out of love. We hear that in our second reading. St. Paul talks about love and loving neighbor, and then he lists a multitude of sins. Why does he do that? Because sin is contrary to love. Sin is opposed to love. Sin is opposed to God. And so if we want to be with God, who is love forever, we have to avoid sin. And should we sin seriously, if we, if we fall into mortal sin, we need to repent to be back on the right track. We need to go to confession, say to God, we're sorry, and receive his grace through his minister, through the sacraments where all grace is being guaranteed to be given to us. And so, brothers and sisters in Christ, God is calling us to a greater repentance. God is calling us to follow him. God calls us to love not only him, but our neighbor. And if we truly love our neighbor, we would encourage them, if they're going astray, to repent. And that's exactly what the Christian was trying to do with Penn, trying to help this atheist be on the right track so that he can be with God forever in heaven. Now, to this day, Penn still hasn't converted. He's still an atheist, and he still makes his videos promoting atheism. But we can see in at least this one video that he could recognize the love, the care, the kindness, the sincerity that this Christian had in trying to help him. And so we are called to do likewise, to love our brothers and sisters and, and to try to bring people to Christ. In any way that we try to help someone, it always needs to be done in charity, not in condemnation, not in anger, but out of love. Because love is very convincing. And God is love. So we don't want to just talk to them about God. We want to show them God through the love of God that's flowing from us. So let us consider in what ways God may be calling each and every one of us to help someone else to come back to the right track, to be set in the right path towards God, towards heaven, by overcoming serious sins, by overcoming mortal sin, repenting of these things, and headed towards heaven. Let us reflect upon this as we prepare to meet our Lord Jesus Christ in the most holy Eucharist.